share the creativity of Ursula Freer with you, especially her work called Swirling Electrons, which we used as our background for our logo. The beautiful sweeping lines of blue and purple are mesmerizing conceptual depiction of electrons floating in free space. You can enjoy more of Ursula Freer's work at Fine Art America website. That's www.fineartamerica.com. On this website, you can purchase her art as a wall hanging, stationery, and even a phone case. So please visit Ursula Freer at www.fineartamerica.com. Hi, I'd like to talk a little bit about kids and coding. Today, many kids around the world, as young as seven years old, are coding. Their minds are stimulated by interactive graphics, storytelling, and logic as they code. Simple game building engages the children's mind with creativity, math, language, and spatial awareness. But don't let us forget problem solving and analytical thinking. All of this while they're having fun, learning how to code. At Code Ninjas, that's exactly what kids get to do. Or visit Code Ninjas national site and put in your zip code at www.codeninjas.com. There are over 200 Code Ninjas across the country, and you probably have one near you. Okay, thank you for joining us. This is Bob and Charlotte, and we're here with Totally Code. So as a quick recap, uh, Totally Code is not super technical. It's a little techy. Uh, you might learn something along the way. We hope you do. We hope you learn something. And we hope you enjoy and have a little bit of fun. So we are going to talk about, typically we talk about things about code. Not necessarily how to code, although we might touch on that in the future, but things about code. So I'm here with my lovely wife, Charlotte. Hi, Bob. Welcome to episode four of Totally Code. Today's title, Hey Google, do you know Siri? Siri seems funny. Cool. Today we're going to be talking about the world of AI. Yeah, big topic. So hold on. This is a tough one. Oh, you're, what are you going to do? I'm going to ask Google. Hey Google, what's AI? For help with that, you'll need to go to the Google Home app and turn on web and app activity. Did you see? Ah! You, yeah, right. <laughs> Did you see how long it took to respond? Yeah. And then it bailed. Yeah. But we've asked that question before to Google. Let me ask it. Let me ask it again. So AI stands for artificial intelligence. Let me see what Google says now. Hey Google, what's artificial intelligence? Here's a summary from Wikipedia. Artificial intelligence, sometimes called machine intelligence, is intelligence demonstrated by machines, unlike the natural intelligence displayed by humans and animals. Okay. Did you notice so the interesting thing I want to bring up is that every time you ask Google something, you don't always get the same answer. And that's, right. that's part of the AI. But this it was pretty lame because all it did was recognize what you asked and looked it up in Wikipedia, which is like us. Right. That's so, what we do. So let me ask let me ask it again. Hey Google, do you know Siri? Siri seems clever. Right. Oh. You see, it's a different answer. It's different this time. Now, mm -hmm. it's, you know, how is it doing that? I, uh, you know, it's, oh, I'll, I'm going to bring it, I'm going to bring something up. 
and it's most likely a word called a heuristic. Oh, no. Big word. Right. Need to define it. Here's the only reason I bring... Well, the only reason I bring it up is I did study this in school. So I did take one AI course. And the only thing I remember was heuristic. Right? Okay. <laughs> so um, So what does it mean? What does heuristic mean? Okay. Let me, let me do this. We're going to Google this because uh, I want to get it right. So the definition for heuristic is the object of a heuristic is to produce a solution in a reasonable time frame that is good enough for solving the problem at hand. See how it's not absolute? It's very fuzzy. Right. Um, this solution may not be the best of all solutions to the problem, or it may simply approximate the exact solution, but it is still valuable because finding it does not require prohibitively long time. So that was really important long ago when they didn't have a lot of computer power. Right. Right. The timing of it. Right. It couldn't take a long time to figure out. Right. Um, I, I want to just mention quickly that I was going through my dad's stuff. And my dad had gone to Carnegie Mellon, which was actually Carnegie Tech at the time. He was, got, he was in the Tepper School of Business. Going through his stuff, I found a Carnegie publication by Herbert Simon and Alan Newell. And it is titled Heuristic Problem Solving, The Next Advance in Operations Research. So this was really interesting to find this this week when we were this we were teeing this topic up. Right. And if you look at the wiki for heuristic, you'll see that these two guys are the two guys. Who are they again? Same. Okay, Herbert Simon and Alan Newell. Okay. So now we've jumped kind of ahead. We didn't really go back and address some of the preambles but yeah. i but i did want to kind of jump in on this heuristic thing so these two guys are pioneers why don't you give me the history of ai and and then talk, also talk about who the pioneers were in this field okay so as usual and then we'll bring it up to current day right we'll do our best this is a tough topic um you know we had to go wiki the stuff and but as we find it we roll back to greece again like we did on the last thing um, and there is some reference to the similar things being in China, but in Greek mythology, there's a there's a creature called Talos, and Talos is a machine. It's an intelligent machine that protects Europe and Crete, and it is protects the whole area, and it's it's intelligent. So the Greeks postulated intelligent machines way back when in the early BC, hundreds of years in BC. Everybody wanted somebody else to do the dirty work for them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We're always making machines to do things for us, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Right. So then there is some, Descartes talks about it. Descartes in uh, the 1600s postulates this thing about intelligent machines. But then it really starts to grab a hold in the early 1900s under Alan Turing. Turing. Yeah, right. Okay, I've heard of him before. Well, yeah, he was the Enigma dude. Oh. Right. Okay, so right. tell me tell me a little bit about Turing. Well, he does a couple things. He does Enigma. He also has a thing called the Turing machine, which is really the first definition of a computer. And then he does a thing called the Turing test. Turing so, test. The Turing so test that? is like a blind test of how do you prove whether or not you've got an intelligent machine 
And really what they do is the concept is you have two terminals, you have two people at two terminals, or I'm sorry, you got one person at two terminals, whatever, talking to two we different... We have a terminal, at right. least one terminal and one person. And you're talking... And somebody's talking. Okay. And you're talking... Just like us. Are we a Turing machine? Well, are you? That's, I'm not sure. You right. have to continue and give us, tell so us all about it. It's called the imitation game. And the person is talking to the computer one time, and then the per- computer's talking, to, then the person's talking to a person the other time. And is, if they can't tell the difference, then that's the definition of an intelligent machine. Who can't tell the difference? The person? The proctor, whoever. Oh, whoever, okay, yeah, okay. But- right. I didn't really lay this out well, but there's. Do you there, want to try it again? No. <laughs> I don't. The, the con- you got the concept. I got the concept. The concept is I got trying- the concept. So you have a human and you have a machine, and somebody's making a determination whether they can tell the difference between the human or the machine. If they can't tell the difference, that's an intelligent machine. And the only machine. thing they see is a terminal or a console where they can have a dialogue and text. This is what Turing postulated back in the 1940s, maybe early 1950, maybe. Okay. So that becomes the standard, right? So he starts now. He doesn't. He doesn't call this artificial intelligence. It's not until uh, 1955 that John McCarthy comes along, and he's at Dartmouth, and he proposes a, uh, a seminar or a, what do you call it, conference with ten other scientists for two months in the summer of 1956, and he calls that the study of artificial intelligence. Now, they were there were many other words being used at the time, okay? So there were things like cybernetics, automata theory, complex information processing, and he scratches and he says, no, we're calling this artificial intelligence. Cool. Right. What are some of the milestones in uh, AI today? You know, uh, there are many, and, I, I, you know, you could study it and, and lay them out, but there are two big ones that pop up, and they're, they're both IBM. They're IBM's uh, Deep Blue. Do you remember Deep Blue? Yeah, I do. All right, so Deep Blue beats Gary Kasparov in chess. And Gary Kasparov is? Well, he was the chess champion at the time in the, in the late 1990s. So, so when- this is 1997. Deep Blue beats the, the chess champion. Neat. And the notes say that they, that Deep Blue calculated 200 million moves a second in order to beat him. Wow. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. That's mm-hmm. that's tremendously fast. Let me before I do the the next milestone, I want to go back to this guy Herbert Simon. In the late in 1950s, he predicts that computers will beat the chess champion of the world in 10 years. This becomes a miserable failure. He, he is pretty well known. He has uh, about a half a dozen predictions, and they all flop. And when they flop, all the funding goes away. So there's this thing called the AI winter. So in the first AI winter is in 1974. So basically from the late 50s to the early 70s, there's this huge push for AI, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they don't meet their expectations, and mostly because there's just not enough hardware, there's not enough data management, and then they haven't advanced all these algorithms. 
and basically everybody stops funding. Okay. The Department of Defense stops funding, all the companies stop funding, and we have what's called the first AI winter. Hmm. Okay, and then, but then after that, in the 1980s, we start to get a resurgent, right? So companies are, start to invest in trying to use some of this to their benefit, and some of them have some some hits. Um, DEC, Dig Digital Equipment Company, they actually end up saving $40 million in cost savings because they're applying these kinds of heuristics and, uh, and things to manage their business. So all of a sudden you have this new uh, influx of money and, um, and then you get another boom in the 1980s. So from 1980 to 1987, there's another boom in AI research. Now, you said there was two winters? There were two winters. So the first one was? First winter was 1974. And when was the second winter? So the second winter is in 1987 and 1993 and here's why yeah why was that one so, why did that one happen so during the boom in the late 80s and what happened there was they brought up a bunch of things like uh expert systems that started to actually do stuff right in 1987 you start to see ibm pcs and apples hit the market as general processors prior to that they had all these dedicated processors so all this ai work was being, there was dedicated specific hardware being built for AI. So there was whole infrastructure around AI. As soon as these PCs start coming out, everybody says, oh, the hell with that. We'll just put everything on a PC. You start to, all these companies, I mean, like tons of companies fold that were invested in AI hardware. And it mm. just, that whole thing just implodes on itself. Okay, gotcha. Right. So we talked about, um, the milestones. We talked about one milestone. Ah. Okay, Deep Blue. What was the second milestone? So then it's it's IBM again. It's Watson. So I don't Watson. remember Watson. Watson's still around today, and you can you can do time sharing or interfacing or APIs to Watson. Um, February two thousand eleven. Watson plays Jeopardy. Two thousand and eleven. Right. And what happened? What was the outcome? So he beats the two champions. Uh, he wallops them, Brad Brutter and Ken Jennings. He just Watson slaughters them. In 2011. So both right. of these major milestones were brought to you by IBM. You betcha. Cool. Yeah. Can you name some um, current day AI applications? Well, I think what you see, I mean, I think the most remarkable thing is voice recognition. Ah, I don't know what you I, think. I love voice recognition. Well, think about how we deal with computers today. I mean, it's it's been around for a long time, but it was imperfect and it wasn't easily available. Now, today, does everybody have one in their house? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hey, Google, what time is it? It's 1.03 p.m. Gotta love that. <laughs> Gotta love that. Well, and so, but think about that. So... Yeah, you think um, now would be a good time for a break? I think so. All right, so let's just, we'll take a break and then we'll get back to this uh, modern day AI. Okay, sounds okay. good. All right. Hey guys, look, we want you to visit our social media. We're on the big four. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, 
and we post quite a bit and we'll, we'll follow up and post some of this detail uh, but we want you to follow us we want you to share us we want you to send us notes uh, we really want to know what you want us to talk about and we're going to be really happy to get feedback from you guys and um, make some shows around the feedback you're giving us so follow us uh, on the social media just go to any of those platforms just search for totally code and um, let's do it we're back back okay. to modern day ai and we were talking about voice recognition well so that's just so ai is this like this global word that encompasses many things but it's it's basically all the things that humans do for think about all your senses right your vision can you recognize things sure right right you can do facial recognition you can recognize people um one of the most recent famous contests in the last five years is about recognizing cat faces. So it's they they are, have competitions where AI systems compete with each other to see how many cat faces they can recognize, and there's thousands of them. Wow! Right. So vision. And then they, do they apply an emotion to those cat faces? I have no idea what they oh, do. Oh, okay. No, but so it's about your senses, right? It's about your voice. So the voice recognition, I, I, I'm, you know, to me, if you don't understand it, it's magic. To me, voice recognition is magic, you know, how they do it. But that was done in the 1970s and, you know, started to roll out in the 80s. And now it's, it's used all the time. Right. Remember when voice recognition first came out, you would say something, you'd say it again, you'd say it again, you'd say it again. Then you'd try and change your voice, like, go down really deep, just so it would understand what you were saying. And it still didn't. Now today, it understands uh, everything. It's so, so clear. Yeah, voice recognition is a super advancement in AI, right? Um, vision systems, as we talked about, is really important. And then language what's called natural language so the computer's ability to understand natural language uh, so two things here we know that language is used for communication but we strongly believe that language is used for thinking so in order to think you have to understand you have to be able be able to formulate ideas right and you have to put those ideas and then for us we put ideas into words so one of the other things we talked about in the last podcast was predicates. Remember we talked about predicates? Sure. Mm -hmm. Right. So the predicates were with Boolean uh, logic, which was and, or, and not. So the, they use predicates in AI. One of the fa There are many predicates, but one of the real heavily used predicate is the word at. So at is a word association. So, for example, your desk is at your home. Your car is at your garage. You are at your desk. So when I just said those three things, what do they mean to you? Well, they designate a location, and they also designated, for example, a person or a thing. Yeah, it's a relationship. Yeah, it is. So it is. Your, whole, your whole brain is relationships, right? So... We know that you have neurons and you know that you have synapses and when you when you keep repeating something and you keep seeing something over and over and over again, there becomes the, that connection, that synapsis between the neurons gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's how you associate things. So, you know, that is also implemented in some of the AI. So this this relationship, it develops relationships. 
Would that mean that the computer can actually learn or think? Well, they're starting to. I mean, I would say they're definitely doing it today. Um, to the extent, I mean, it's very complex. Uh, I mean, uh, we have a thing called machine learning. So, I mean, you see AI all over the place, right? And then, then you see the words machine learning and you see the words deep learning. So there is learning going on. And the machine learning is kind of the merge, the merging the two worlds of statistics and computer programming. And what we are doing is we're taking large sets of inputs and large sets of outputs and handing it over to the computer and saying, look, you know, here's all of your statistics, here's all of your input data, here's your sample output data, this is how we created the output. Now, study that, learn that, figure that out, and apply that to a larger data set. That's going on today. So this learning um, is probably taking place today and in recent years because our computing power has gotten faster. Oh yeah, that was part of the problems they had with these winters is they just didn't have enough power. I mean, today we have enormous processing power, cheap processing power, huge database, uh, you know, disks, uh, you know, mass persistent storage, and we have these sophisticated large databases. So we have this big data. So big data is part of all this. It's, it's part of this whole ability to have huge amount of information and being able to process it at a reasonable price. Okay, so that's how we're moving into the future. Oh yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about a well-defined problem and an ill-defined problem in relationship to AI? Right. So this goes back to these guys at Carnegie, right? And they had also worked for Rand Corporation, but Herbert Simon and Alan Newell wrote about this in the late 1950s, which is when we're trying to solve problems, and these guys were in the management school. They were in the business school. So they, they weren't just... Uh, hanging out in you know the ivory tower just thinking about this stuff for no reason they were trying to apply it and they were an, a well-defined problem is something that has numbers and quantities and can be quantified an ill-defined problem is less definite it's more of a, you know it's it's just amorphous it's 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 so a management I, decision no so go ahead can i give an example and maybe this is correct maybe it's not an easy example a well-defined problem would be 2 plus 2 equals 4. Right. An ill-defined program would be a word problem. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. No, a word problem. And then they were extrapolating it out to be a management problem. So the, the, the holy grail is executive decision-making. They were trying to say, how do you use systems for executive decision-making? Because executive decision-making is is harder to define. It's more of an ill-defined problem, right? It's it's not black and white. It can't always be quantified. It's based on so many inputs, right? Right. And each of these inputs are evaluated in a different way. But there is an answer to be found. Well, they weren't then at the time they weren't really convinced there was uh, ah. because they were that's their goal was how do you solve ill-defined problems? Okay. Right. And they and they sought artificial intelligence to help them solve these ill-defined programs. Right, right. That's exactly what they were doing. And what does the term "neat and scruffy" have to do with AI? Well, so they were 
there was a big fight back and forth between different types of algorithms. And, and neat algorithms were these ones that could be easily applied. Go ahead. Algorithms. I know we've gone over this before. Why don't we talk about it one more time? What's an algorithm? Let's just get the basics out there. Well, it's a method or a strategy, right? It's an approach. Uh, how are you gonna How are you gonna solve something, right? So it's more of a process. So okay. So let's go forward with the neat and the scruffy. So neat neat algorithms were these ones were based on hard data, right? So you know they they line they align themselves with these two different uh, sets of problems. And the, there were two schools of thought. You know, the neat guys thought that they could solve every problem with the neat uh, methods. And the scruffy guys, which were, you know, were trying to solve problems with heuristics and, and, um, and methods that were of kind of fuzzy decision making, were trying to solve the problem. So there's just two schools of thought. Okay. And they went back and forth. Okay. In your opinion, what do you think the future of AI is? Well, there's lots of different futures, but I think some of the futures, the near future of these um, voice systems is that, um, you know, you're no longer going to have to say, hey, Google. You right. Know, they'll just talk to you, right? You don't have to prompt them, right? Wow, that sounds a little scary. Well, Imagine I mean, having a conversation with yourself in your own head and it becomes out loud. And all of a sudden, you have somebody answering you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Um, I have to tell you, it would be easier than keeping a dog. <laughs> well, I mean, there are all these things, you know, things that can help you make decisions, right? So, um, or computers that are making complex decisions for you. Or people, companies start to rely on systems more than they rely on executives. That could be a big problem. Right, oh. we already rely. We already corporations already rely on systems for data and process. Right, we we see this today. Right. right, right. But what happens when the when the computers are smart enough to make executive decisions? Do you remember? Wow. Do you remember mm-hmm. a person of interest? Yes. What does that computer do? That computer. That that computer. If I remember the show right. Um, it analyzed personalities and analyzed outcomes. Well, it did. It listened to everybody, right? It got it had right. all this information because it listened to everybody's conversation. It saw all these videos, and it behaved like a human. It actually created a corporation. So, so the the I forget the name of the computer, uh, but it first decided to create a corporation. Then it filled out all the paperwork to fill the corporation. Gave all the information. Uh, you know, obviously falsified the identities and then got the corporation. Then it appointed people in the corporation and started writing letters from people to other people and got government decision makers to make decisions and give funding to the company because it falsified all the paperwork. Boy, you remember that so much better than me. Oh, well, that was just one episode or something. But um, yeah, Yeah. that's, that's the problem is machines start... I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still a long way away from machines thinking on their own or us allowing them to think on their own because we're going to be afraid of the consequences, right, if we let these machines well, do what they want. I think all along throughout history we've been afraid of the consequences, but that hasn't stopped us from moving forward. 
Yeah, we're always we're always, there's always and you know what? There's evil dudes out there and evil gals out there that are, are that are you know always pushing, you know, the envelope, you know, for their own evil benefit. So that's the problem. You have to keep it in the realm of of, of you have to contain it. True. But we have to remember all the good that AI has brought to us. What? Voice recognition. <laughs> I mean, that's that's an amazing thing. Do you order your groceries that way? No, I don't order my groceries that way, but I ask Google all kinds of things. Okay. Hey, Google, how are you feeling today? I'm good. What's up with you? See? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Let's see how far that goes. Keep it going. That much. When in public, wear a mask. Just a teeny-weeny task. It helps keep us safe and sound. Health and care all around. On your mouth and on your nose. Good to cover both of those. Okay. If you want to hear that again, ask me to sing the mask song. That is just too funny. It's and not funny. It is funny. It is funny. We didn't ask anything, and Google just put that little plug right out there. Boy, that's scary. Yeah, that was a little scary. But you know what's really scary? When cars drive themselves. Why? I don't know. I haven't. I haven't gotten to the point where I think that's safe yet. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, not. It's, it's not. putting trust in a machine. Yes, uh, they're very complex machines, cars. You know, so they're you know, cars an intelligent machine, although it's single purpose, right? It's not general purpose, so it would be called what we call a intelligent agent, right? So it, um, but look at look at all the features that are in your cars today. Even though they're not autonomous today, you have vision systems that keep you in your lane. You have braking systems that will stop your car even if you forget to stop your car. They'll park your car, you know, all sorts of things. So they exist today, although they're not completely autonomous. What amazing options in cars. They really do help to keep us safe. I really appreciate all the innovations that have come in the cars, like automatic braking system. That's that's just an amazing thing. And the side mirrors that indicate when there's a car too close. Um, yeah, I really appreciate all the artificial intelligence that's been built into my car. Right, so there have been a bunch of um, a contests where they have cars drive through deserts, and they can they can go through. There's a, there's a thing called the DARPA Grand Challenge, the race for autonomous vehicles. So that stuff's going on right now. So there are, you know, not on the streets, but in test environments, these vehicles can do it all on their own. That's scary. That's very scary. Right. Like I said, scary stuff. Yeah, but see, so, there's a there's an example of good use of AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another thing you were asking about, I mean, there's lots of things you'll see in the future, but we talked about executive decision-making. But some simple things are like, um, you know how you, um, you have to buy, when you buy something, you've got to put in your credit card or something. And things get smarter now. They recognize you. You know, sometimes you don't have to put in your password. You can put in your fingerprint. Well, right. guess what? With these voice systems, once you get certified with your voice system and you load up all your financials or your financial buying power, it will use voice recognition to authenticate your purchase. Wow. So you can just be buying stuff just talking to talking to Google. You can just go buy stuff by voice. Wow. Right. That's going to be amazing. Right. 
never have to remember another password. Well, probably still have to remember some passwords. Well, I hate resetting passwords. What a pain in the butt. Boy, that'd be great, though. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, in so, for some summary, um, my view on all this stuff is it's, it's how do we simulate what humans do, uh, like mostly our senses. Like how do we see? How do we hear? How do we talk? How do we communicate? What is natural language? Right, all those. Now the next level, which you know we have learning going on, but you know learning is not the same as thinking, and it's not the same as being free to make your own choices. You know, we we have to put bridles on this um, because we could end up in a crazy situation where computers are. You know, you've got Skynet, right? We didn't talk about <laughs> Skynet. Next um, episode. But Skynet definitely, you know, where the, the computers ruled the sky. Uh, they ruled all, they controlled everything, you know. And, you know, that's a military thing. So we've come up with two plugs for two movies. No. Person of Interest, well, that uh, was a series. Right. And Skynet. Skynet, Terminator. Okay. So I'll be back. <laughs> On our next episode of Totally Code. Right. So we'll sign off? Sign off. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Totally Code, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. And just as a side note, this episode was brought to you by Code Ninjas, where kids have fun and parents see results. Children from ages 7 to 14 are provided with the opportunity to learn and develop computer coding skills. The center offers many different services ranging from in-center learning, virtual learning, after-school enrichment, day camps, virtual camps, birthday parties, and much more. To reserve your spot or learn more about Code Ninjas at www.codeninjas.com.